What ragged fool are you, running out on the wailing chorus? The man demanded as soon as the great door closed. He was standing with folded arms across a broad chest, glaring out under his priestly hat. A black bush of a beard was on his face, and it turned down in a searing frown. I did not answer at once. First, for my gasping breath and aching limbs, but later for the sharp stare the man had coming out of his eyes. There was a keenness in his gaze that pierced down into dark places, erasing the walls to wit and wile, to see things hidden that even I was not sure existed within the cage of my bones. Under it, I forgot, if for the briefest moment, the notion of dreams, nightmares, far green countries, and shadowed imitations of my home. Here, in these eyes, was truth. Perhaps all truth. And it was a dauntless rock which could not be shifted by the wavering tempest of imagination and fancy. Well, you deaf or just dumb? the man asked. As if to accentuate him, the fireplace upon the east wall snapped. I... What were those? was all I managed. It was hardly the brightest or best question, but I think I should be forgiven for the terrors of my night. The priestly man looked once to the door with his hard stare, then back to me, now raising a confused brow. What sort of man are you, out and about with no knowledge of the days? the man asked. And what are these clothes? Is this a nightshirt? Did you jump out of a window after a long sleep? Speak, child, and tell me what madman I deal with. I am Kalen, I said, finally recovered enough to speak a coherent thought. I am from Marhau, and I have no idea where I am. Marhau, the man said quizzically. He looked down to the snapping fire, and a pondering look came over him. Marhau, he said again slowly. That name strikes a familiar chord, but I cannot recall why. Perhaps another might know, but it matters little now. You are inside, and that is enough. Come, sit by the fire and warm your toes. The night cannot reach you any longer. I took this offer eagerly, finding a seat of leather and down. As I went, I looked into the church that was my salvation. It was small, much smaller than it had seemed from afar, though... I admit the size of it was hardly at the front of my mind as I ran. Along the far wall, tapestry hung, colored red and gold and white. It was long, perhaps thirty feet or more, and it had many devices and symbols on it that rimmed the edges. In the center of the tapestry was a mysterious scene. There was a city, and a land, and a great many villages about it. But on the next part, the land and the villages were vanished, and only the city remained. On the third part, the city was beset by what I thought to be reaching branches of a tree, or the poison whips of vine, and on the fourth, a looming shadow stood over the walls. The fifth was the last scene. It was larger than the rest, and showed the city in more detail. I took it to be Ostwich, though it had no name. From the center of the city, a white light shone out, and it pushed back against a dark cloud that had enveloped it. Beneath the light was a small figure, standing with arms outstretched, and before the figure, a cheering crowd. My eyes passed from the tapestry to the rear of the sanctuary. I gasped aloud, for I saw, leaning against the back wall on a small chair, a sunken form, bent over and hidden in heavy cloth. The priestly man heard my gasp and followed my gaze. 
heed no fear, stranger. That is Ilya, a ward of the church. It was she who would have rescued you, had you the misfortune to arrive some twenty years ago. But now she sleeps, and waits for the days of dark to end. Days of dark, I echoed softly. What is this tapestry behind me? I have never seen such a work. I will tell you, but first a name. The man reached over with an outstretched hand. I took it and we shook, and as he leaned back he said, I am Thaddeus, I of the church, and that, he pointed to the tapestry, is the salvation of man. I turned back once more to behold the work. It did not look like salvation. It looked more like desperate survival. Salvation from what? I asked. To my surprise, Thaddeus began to laugh. From the very things you so nearly escaped, he said. Salvation was an arrogant word, but the artist was an arrogant woman. Most would call it now relief of man, for that is all it is offered. Relief from that? I nodded my head towards the shut door dancing in the firelight. Thaddeus nodded. Indeed, it is not much, but it is all that it can be. He shifted in his chair to lean over, such that his glinting eyes were now brightly lit in the fire. He set the weighty gaze upon me again, but this time it was friendly and warm, and he smiled, such that I felt as if many burdens were taken off me in that moment. He began to speak once more. Tell me, Caelan, this Marhau you say you come from, what manner of city is it? Is it a dark place? Does mankind still dwell there, or are other things taken root? Other things? I said, confused. I'm not sure what else could be there, unless you mean the pets or burden beasts. Mankind has held Marhau forever, for mankind is the only creature capable. Is it? Thaddeus said, but well, I was not sure it was a question. Well, you would know best your own city. Where does it sit, if I might ask? I am not sure how to answer that, I said truthfully. I rarely left the city, and there were few villages nearby to put a distance on. I know there was a place called Curum, but it is many leagues distant, across a great lake, and much land I am not familiar with. Curum. I've heard that name, Thaddeus said. He rose suddenly and went to a place beneath the tapestry, to a bookshelf that was riddled with dusty tomes. He pulled one out, a red, leather-bound thing, with a strip of black cloth to mark it. This he brought once more to sit at the fire. Curum. Curum. He repeated aloud, as if summoning a memory he had stored far away. Ah, yes. I knew that name was remembered here. Curum, the city of knights, the city of king's knights. Yes. He looked up and his eyes became dark. Curum disappeared over a millennia ago, long before the dark and the devil's eve. I frowned. That was certainly not right. Curum, while distant and unfamiliar, was definitely still there, else I would not have heard so many fellow citizens of Marhau wonder about it. I think you are mistaken, I said. Kurum has never fallen, so far as I know. It's built in a mountain inlet with treacherous shoal at its feet. No army would consider it worth taking. It was Thaddeus' turn to frown now, 
No, he said with a shake of his head. Curum stood in a wide field of high grass, surrounded on all sides by a threefold moat, looking upon the passes of... He looked down to his book. The Ardent Mountains. It was certainly near no sea or inlet. That is wrong, I said, more to myself than Thaddeus. No, no, it is quite right, a frail voice suddenly interrupted. Ilya, who had thus far moved not an inch, was now rising from her chair. She was bent and frail, and her hair fell in thin strands from beneath a red hood. A walking cane was in her right hand, which she leaned on as she shuffled near us. I do not recall your Marhau, child, but I have read enough of Curum to know it is not fiction. It was there, long ago, over the mountains far. So the songs say, Pass me by, O solid night, reprieve my fear like Curum's eyes. It vanished ere the dark came, or perhaps with it. Who can really say what is true so long ago? With all respect, ma'am, I cannot believe you, I protested. Oh, you should, lad. I was the eye before Thad here, and I saw farther afield than any of my day. Even met the right hand once, when I was young. The right... I don't know what any of those are, I said. This is all confusing to me. I've never heard of Oswich or hands or eyes or any of this. Thaddeus looked as if he was about to speak, but at that moment a sound interrupted us. There was a crash at the door as something heavy fell against the wood. The handle began to wiggle as a force on the other side sought to pry it open. Is it not locked? I cried, jumping to my feet. It does not need to be. The creatures do not enter, Thaddeus shouted, rushing for the door. But it was too late. The door swung open. A figure jumped inside. For a brief, terrible moment, the entire sanctuary was filled with the horrible, scratching chorus of the wailing host. And then it was silenced once more as the door fell swiftly back into place. Thaddeus reached down into his cloak. I saw out of the corner of my eye that he had a sword there, hidden among the folds. It was halfway from its scabbard when a voice came from the sudden intruder. Oh there, put down the silverware and let a man breathe, it said. The man at the door was a tall, lanky fellow, dressed entirely in a tuxedo and a comically tall top hat. His face was clean-shaven and sharp, and his smile was charming, but as I looked into his eyes, I had a brief moment of deja vu, as if I knew this man, but could not remember where we had met. "'Who are you?' Thaddeus demanded, hands still on the hilt of his sword. The man at the door looked once to Thaddeus, then to me, and a bewildered smile came over him. A friend of Kalen, of course. He tucked his hand into his pockets and strode forward to the nearest chair, settling in like a noodle being bent into all sorts of shapes. I don't know you, I declared, though I was not entirely sure that was true. Then, as I watched, the man tilted his head down so that the brim of the top hat covered his eyes. With a single finger, he lifted the brim, looking out from under the corner. Neater? I said, curious as to how the name had even found my lips. The only one, the man said, bowing over his knees. Oh, I said. It hit me then. I was surely dreaming. This was downright absurd. Neater was now in the form of a tall, gangly man, where before he had been a wretched, wrinkled mess. That settled it for me. I had certainly fallen into a horrible nightmare. 
there was no other explanation. This Neater's a friend? Thaddeus asked. I suppose, I shrugged. At that moment, I had given up caring what happened next. If this was a dream, I was done putting effort into it. I decided then I would simply roll with whatever came. If it was dark and horrible, and so be it. I would wake in the end. But I was done trying to make sense of it all. Ah, he's modest. I'm the one that had him sent on his merry way and had him end up here, Neater said. Then he frowned and looked about. Where's the old lady? He wondered. My eyes turned to Ilya, who was stuck now halfway between her original chair and the chairs by the fire. Neater followed along and, when he saw her standing there, shook his head. No, no, not that one. The old one. The one I gave you the pendant for. You didn't lose my pendant, did you? Do you mean guide? I asked, thinking back to the crow who had become a woman in the house of books and cloth. Ha! What a sentence. This was a dream worth retelling one day. Is that the name you two came to? Neater asked. Ah, not my business. She's higher up the ladder, does what she wants. Would have expected her here, though. Where is she? I have not seen her, I declared. Neater's gaze darkened. That is not good, he said. Why? I asked. If nothing else, I could not complain that this dream was boring. Neater dropped a critical eye on me, as if he was not sure I was jesting. Did she not tell you? He asked. She's supposed to tell you. Tell me what? I said. Ah. Hmm. Neater humped along. He turned his gaze to the priest and the old woman, bouncing between them for a moment. His hands began to wrap his knees, and a nervous tap took over his foot. I'm not really supposed to be talking about it in front of the others, he said slowly. But she was supposed to tell you. Ah, uh, hmm. Okay, I've made up my mind, he declared, rising suddenly from the chair. His shadow leaped out like a spider into the far tapestry. Galen, priest, fellow, old lady, sit and listen, because I... Of a story, and we are running out of hours.